you have your Bible, we're in Revelation, and we're going to skip a few churches tonight, and we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. We have now looked at the church of Ephesus. Anybody remember anything about the church of Ephesus? What was their problem? They had abandoned their first love. The Bible says they had forsaken their first love. Yes, good job. Somebody remember that makes me feel a lot better. And then last week, we looked at the church in Smyrna. What do we remember about the church in Smyrna? Yeah, there, there, there was no problems against them. What else? They were the persecuted church, right? They were the purified church, and so they had gone through so much persecution, and they've gone through so much poverty. And I love the verse that says, uh, you, are, you are poor, but you're really rich. They are a poor church in the eyes of the world, but they are rich spiritually. And uh, so we've looked at those two churches. Now we're going to skip a few and look at the church in Sardis tonight. So let's just read together, and then we'll kind of digest it and go through it together, okay? Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. It says, unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Let's look at this together. When you get to, to verse 1, it, it's the, the standard greeting in these churches. He says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we got to take a break just for a minute because when we look at the Trinity, we know there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Thus, when we talk about the Spirit, there is only one Spirit, Correct. But here he mentions the, the seven spirits of God. And so what is he talking about? We don't know for sure. One common view is that he's talking about the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When you get back, you may jot this down, when you get back to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, you see what is, is known as the completeness of the Holy Spirit. The verse says this, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so we see these six qualities. You have the qualities of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, fear, plus the title of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you have seven, you have the completeness, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
And so some see this and they believe he's talking about the fulfillment, the completeness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about holding the seven stars. The stars is seen as the leaders in the church. It's talking about the pastors or the messengers or the leaders. In other words, he's beginning and he says, I'm the one that's holding this all together. And if you look at any church, what is needed for a successful church is, number one, that it is driven by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? We want our church, we want every church to be driven by the Holy Spirit of God, the fullness of the Spirit of God. And then we need some godly leaders who are following the will, the guidance, and the direction of God. And so he's saying, this is what you've got. But you say, why is he writing that to this church? Because he did not write like this to the other churches. What we're going to see is that this is a church that has forfeited these things. This is a church that is not being led by the Spirit of God. This is a church that is not being led by godly leaders. This is a church, and the Bible says it is dead. There's nothing good going on in this church. In their deadness, they have forfeited spiritual leadership, and they have forfeited the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not there, and neither were godly leaders, and they desperately needed both. And so he begins, and he tells them what is wrong with the church. He says this, I know your deeds he says, I know that you have a name, you have a reputation that you are alive. I know you have a reputation that you are alive, but then what does he say? But you are not. You have a reputation for life, but in reality, it is missing. He says, I know. So again, we see the omniscience of God. He knows what's going on. He knows what this church is. He knows what they are doing. And usually at this point in the letter, we begin with some nice things, don't we? We begin with, before I let you have it, let me tell you what you're doing good. There's got to be a few things. There's got to be something that you're doing good, but that's not what we see in this letter. He goes right into it, and he says, you have a reputation for being alive. You have a reputation of doing well, but let me just start out and say, you are not doing well. In fact, you are dead. It is a church that is contaminated by the world, they are defiled, they are decayed, they are disintegrating, and there is dry rot in this church. I think this church is so interesting because they have a good reputation. How many churches even today can have a good reputation? The community can drive by and they can look at the church and they can say that church is doing some good things. I wonder how many churches, even in Longview today, have a good reputation, but they are not being led by the Holy Spirit of God. And so people may look at the church and may drive by and may say, that's a good church, but it could be the Lord looks at that church and says, this church is dead. It very well could be, couldn't it? We can go through programs like nobody's business. 
Every time we get out of one program, we find another program. Every time we end one activity, we find another activity. Every time something stops, something opens. Every time a door is shut, another one's open. And so we can keep on going and going and going and going. But the reality is we can keep going and going and going and going and have zero leading from the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what this church is doing. They have a reputation. People see them and they say, you're doing good, but it is not true. They tell us that the stars that we see at night are so far away that it actually takes years for the light to come to earth. And so you look up on a night like tonight, possibly, and you look up and you see this beautiful, bright star in the sky. It looks beautiful. It looks like just a ball of fire up in the sky. But it could be that that star has been dead for six months. We don't see it because we see the light that's still traveling. We think it's alive. We think it's bright. But it it could actually be dead. And it could be there's a lot of churches just like that. There's a lot of churches who used to be doing some good things. They've got a strong history. They've got a strong legacy. They've got a strong past. And so they're holding on to all the things that they used to do and all the people they used to see saved and all the baptisms that used to happen. And they're saying, we're okay because what has happened in the past, but in reality, the light has gone out and the church could be dead. I think it's important because this is, This is a trap that we could fall into at Woodland Hills. And I say that because we have a rich history. Anybody that's been here knows that. You realize that. Over the last 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, however long it's been, we have seen people come in. We have seen souls saved for the kingdom of God. We've seen new, I mean, we've seen so many things happen. And it would be very easy to get to a point that we say, that's enough. Lord, you've done good. We're proud of what we've done. We're proud of what we've seen. But it's time now just to coast a little bit. It's time to quit looking out. It's time to quit doing outreach. It's time to quit reaching the community. We've done enough, and so now let's just coast. But when we get to that point and we decide just to coast, our light will go out. I believe that's what happened to this church. Here is a church, and they were dominated by the flesh, they were dominated by sin, and they were dominated by unbelief. And the most tragic words that a church could hear are the words from God that says, you are dead. Now, you'll remember, last week we looked at the church of Smyrna. Church of Smyrna, they were being persecuted, and they were going to die but the Bible says they're alive, right? Physically, they're going to die, but spiritually, they're as alive as you can be alive. Look at the church today, and their reputation is they're alive, but the Lord says you're dead. You're dead. That's all there is to it. You are just dead. Now, now, what does it mean? When you look in the Bible and you see death, it's usually connected with sin, right? Death is usually connected with sin. Ephesians 2, 1, it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Colossians 2, 13, when you were dead in your transgressions. Here's a church that was living in the deadness of sin. Now, 
This ought to hit close to home a little bit because we've got churches all across this nation who see no problem with sin. And if we as the people of God see no problem with sin and we accept sin into our lives and into our families and into our marriages and into our churches, it's only a matter of time until we are dead. Spiritually speaking, when we allow sin to come in and to take residence and to reign in our life, it will lead to, to death. And when we become more, more willing to worship our past and more concerned over social ills than salvation and more concerned with systems than Jesus and more concerned with materialism than with the spiritual things of life, we are on our way to a tragic death. And here's a church that was dominated by sin, and it was leading to their death. Verse 2, verse 2. He says, For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. What you're doing is not acceptable. It's not sufficient. I don't approve of it. You never get there. Your deeds may be sufficient to give you a reputation before men, but that does not mean they are sufficient before God. Because let me just remind you of the basic truth. It does not matter what men think, but it only matters what God thinks. I really believe that is a, a huge principle that if we could understand, it would change our life. If I would understand that, if I would understand that I can get up here and preach and I don't care at all what you think, as long as I please God, I'm going to sleep good tonight. If I can get that, that's a big step. Because honestly, I care what you think. And so to get to the point that you don't care what people think, but you're so motivated by God that you only care what God thinks, that's a huge thing. Here's a church that the world looks and says, you're doing good, but God looks and says, it's not enough. You've not satisfied me. You say, well, were they persecuted? No, they weren't persecuted. Why would they be persecuted? There's nothing to persecute here. It reminds me of, of Samson. Remember Samson in the Old Testament? Beautiful picture. Samson was a charming, loving hero in Israel when they were going through a dark time. He was the great champion of freedom, the strongest man that ever lived. He had so many feats, so many exploits, such heroism, such strength and courage to his name that the name Samson begins to equal strength. But you see, there's a sad ending to the life of Samson. You remember that he was, he was tricked by Delilah. And as a result, he got a haircut. He got the haircut, then he lost all of his strength. He lost all of his power. And then they came in, and he was in danger. And when he tried to get up and meet the danger, the Bible records these words. It says that Samson did not realize that the Spirit of God had left him. The Spirit of God had departed him, and so he got up, and he was not victorious. It was the same Samson. It was the one with power. It was the one with strength, but all of a sudden, the power had left, and Samson was defeated. He was imprisoned. He was blinded, and it eventually led to his death. You have a strong, strong man, but he gave in to the lust of the world, and it ended up being his demise. 
And we have churches all over, and they are strong churches. They've got the power of God at their fingertips. They're ready to go out with all the potential to change the world. But they begin to flirt and to intermingle with sin, and it ends up leading to their destruction. We've got churches that are dressed up and they're organized and they've got all these congregations and we've got more staff members and we've got more buildings and we've got more technology and we've got more lighting and we've got more computers and we've got more everything you could want. But it could be we've got all of this, but the Spirit of God has departed us. And if the Spirit of God has departed us, you can have all the buildings and all the staff and all the rooms and all the sanctuaries and all the systems and all the programs, and it won't do us a bit of good. So he goes on. Let's look down to verse 4. And he says, But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, now here's the good part. You've got this church that is dead, but wait a minute, there's still a few. There's a few Christians. There's a few believers. You see, he talks about garments. When he talks about garments, he's talking about their character. When people would go and they would worship, even when they would worship the lost and the pagan gods, they would go in and they had to put on these clean clothes. They would put on these clean robes. And they would go in and they would worship. And what he's saying is there are still some who come into the presence of God and they are pure and they are holy and they are righteous and they are true children of God. Jude verse 23, it says, we are to have a garment unspotted by the flesh. There's a few in this church, and they still have character. There's a remnant. There's a remnant here, and the church is going the wrong way. The church is dead. The church is losing, but there's a few in the midst of them, and they're still standing. When everybody else is going the wrong way, there's a few who are still standing. There's a few who have not given in. There's a few who have not given up. I just wonder, will you be one of those? In a world that everybody's going away, in a world that everybody's giving in, in a world that nobody is standing strong, will you be one who goes against it? Will you be one of the remnant? Will you be one that says that this whole thing's in a bad mess, but... There's Vernon. But there's Buddy. But there's and just but there's there's this one and they're standing strong. He says, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. For it to be said about our name that we are worthy, that we're living a life that's worthy. Think about your life for a minute. Your life, the way that you're living, the way that you think, the way that you talk. The way that you treat others, the way that you act, all the things that make you, you. Would the Lord look at your life and say that you are worthy? You're worthy. I love that because he says, they'll walk with me for they are worthy. And so he gives a command. Now, some see this differently. Some see the command as talking to those who are part of the dead church. It could be. I don't see the point in talking to something that's dead. Maybe he's talking to those that remain. Maybe he's talking to those who are alive, and he gives them some instructions. 
Look at it. Look at verse 2. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come to you like a thief. Now, you'll notice he says to wake up. Wake up. You know what you cannot do at the same time as waking up? You cannot be indifferent. If we're indifferent, we just go with the flow. If we don't care, we just go with the flow. And so he is calling these folks to action. Any that still have something and they are listening to the Spirit of God, he's calling them to action and he says, wake up, wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to be active. It's time to do something. Where you're headed right now is not going to cut it and it's not going to work. And so he says, wake up. And then he says to strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. Now, he doesn't tell us what they are. He doesn't tell us, hey, you're doing this a little bit. Let's strengthen that and make it stronger. He doesn't tell us. But we can imagine there's, there's a few things going on in this church, a few good things. And so what they need to do is zone in on these good things and begin to strengthen these things. You see something you ought to be doing and make it stronger and make it stronger and make it stronger. I think that's a good point for our church today, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff. Maybe, maybe we're doing some things and we could just kill it. It's not doing anything for the kingdom of God. But find something that is having an impact for the kingdom of God. Get plugged into it. Begin to work at it. Put your heart into it and make it stronger. He says, wake up, find the things that you've still got going, begin to strengthen those things, and then remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. There's still some scripture. Find that scripture, read it, put it into your heart, remember it. There's still some doctrine that you've got down in the back of your heart. Go and find that, dig that up, dive into it, strengthen that, and pull it back up in your life. Go and find the things that you know are true, you know they're from God, and focus on those things. I have a feeling that this church had gotten distracted. They've gotten so busy with everything else going on in the world, they had, they had left the simple things of God. They had left the, the truth of Scripture. They were so busy chasing everything else the world had to offer, they had, they had left the basic foundation. And so he says, go back to that foundation that you know you heard it a long, long time ago. Go back to it. 2 Timothy 2.2. It says, the things you've heard from me, among with many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What you've heard, what you know is true, go get it. And then he says, and keep it. Remember it and then keep it. Put it in your life. Put it in your heart. And then he says, and repent. Repent. It's like the first church we looked at. You have forsaken your first love. What are you to do? You're to repent. When we look at our life, we look at our church, we look at where we are, and we understand that we have drifted to a place that we should not be, true repentance is necessary. He says, if, therefore, this is in verse 3, if, therefore, you will not wake up, if you don't get this process started, then what's going to happen? He says, I'm going to come like a thief, 
and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. In the Bible, when it's talking about a thief, Matthew 24, Luke chapter 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Peter chapter 3, Revelation chapter 16, the thief comes and it brings judgment. And the point is that you don't know when he's coming. He's coming at an hour that you do not expect. And so if you don't change the process, if the church does not come alive, if things do not change, he's going to come, he's going to inflict pain, and he's going to destroy. Jesus says the thief comes to destroy. And so it's this wake-up call to the church. It really is. Listen, if you're dead, if you're not doing what you ought to be doing, if you're not being led by the Spirit of God, if you're not being led by godly leaders, then what is going to happen is I'm going to come like a thief and I'm going to destroy this church. Church is not honoring to me. I'm not going to let it continue. We need to remember that. I believe it is a high calling to be a part of a church. It's a high calling that we should not take for granted. It's a high calling that we need to treasure. It's a high calling that we need to make sure it is secure. It's a high calling that we need to make sure that we are focused on the Spirit of God every time we meet together. And if we begin to see things that are not focused on God, somebody needs to stand up and say something. Amen? Now, I'm not talking about being critical. I'm not talking about saying, well, I don't like that song. I don't care if you like the song. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about I don't like the carpet. It doesn't matter. But I'm talking about when you see something and you know that we're wasting our time and we're not doing anything for the kingdom of God, somebody needs to stand up because if nobody stands up, the church is being led to death. And then he goes on and he says, The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. The one who overcomes. White has always been a picture of victory, right? We see the TV shows, you got the cowboys, you got the cowboy in black and the cowboy in white. Which one always wins? The cowboy in white, he always wins. White has always been a picture of victory. And he says he's going to be clothed in victory. He's going to be clothed in white. And so the picture is there's coming a time when you're going to taste the victory, It may be tough right now, and he's talking to this remnant who is trying. They are trying to be strong, but it's tough. And he's saying there's coming a time when you're going to be clothed in white. And if you stand strong, he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. He's talking about the book of life. He says, I'm not going to blot it out. You say, well, wait a minute, does that mean that he may blot some out? Don't turn the promise into a threat. He's promising he's not going to. You say, well, what about back in Exodus? Remember back in Exodus, he says, whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. Some of you are going back, you're remembering that. That's not the book of life. Believe what he's talking about there is he's going to blot him out from the earth. Look at it in the context. Look in Romans. He's talking about you're going so far away. I'm just going to blot you out of the book, the book of, of earth. He's not talking about the book of life. He says, you stay faithful. I'm not going to blot you out of the book of life. In John's day, the king would keep a register. And so the register would say who's in the town. It would show who belongs to the king. 
If he, if he died, his name would be erased. So they always kept a register of the city, and it was accurate. What he's saying is it doesn't matter what happens in your life. I'm not taking your name out. Once your name's in, your name is in. So it begins to be a piece of encouragement. I'll confess you before the Father. Now look at verse 6. We're going to close up. We had another song to sing, and Brittany said we can't sing that one. So you're going to get out early today because of Brittany. So tell her thank you here in a little bit. Verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe that's a reminder that this is not just written for this day. It's written for us today. There are some ways that we can look and maybe we can see some challenges from the church to us today. Some challenges that if we're not careful, we could find that we are dead. I don't believe we are. I believe the Lord has blessed this church and I'm excited to be a part of it. I look forward to coming to this church every time we meet together, and I don't want that to change. I want my kids to grow up and be in a church that is alive, that is thriving. I want them to be in a church that is being led by the, the Holy Spirit of God. I want these kids that we're dropping off by the busload, and if you're in the, the grand hall on a Wednesday night, it drives you nuts because all of a sudden it's quiet, then all of a sudden they come in and it's just a wild house. I want those kids to come to a church that is led by the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just fall into place that way. It takes men and women who are seeking after the things of God. It takes men and women who are are selfless. Men and women who are not going to do just what's easy, but we're going to do what's right. Men and women who are not going to just give in to the fads of the world, but we're going to stand upon the Word of God. And when we quit doing those things, we'll become just like any other church. And it could be said that Woodland Hills is a dead church. It could be said, do you remember Woodland Hills in its heyday? You ever hear that about churches? Man, you remember that church when they used to, remember that church the way they used to, boy, they don't do that anymore. Boy, something's happened. Do you hear about that church that's closing its door? Remember when they used to always And churches begin to change. Uh, The Lord doesn't want that to happen. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Keep it going. Keep it going and stay focused on what matters. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time that we've got together, God. Uh, Lord, thank you for these churches. that We can look at them, God, that we can be challenged, that we can grow and we can see ways that God, ways that maybe we're doing well, and we can also see ways that maybe we're falling short. Lord, I pray that this church, Woodland Hills, will be a church that is alive. God, we will be a church that is led by you, not just today, not just this year, God, but I pray until you return, Woodland Hills will be faithful, and we will be totally surrendered to you. So, Lord, I pray that you will continue to to rise up our people to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, God, to show us what to do and what not to do. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be softened and we will follow you no matter what you call us to. Lord, it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. All right. Well, you should have uh, picked up. If you didn't, you can 